God, we are today ever grateful that you are a relentless pursuer of your lost sheep. God, we are reminded today that we didn't find you, but you came to us, God. Lord, you've demonstrated your love in ways we will never fully grasp. God, because we're not at all deserving of it. So God, I pray, Lord, as we open your word today, that you help us, God, begin to wrap our minds around this radical love you've expressed to us, God. Giving what we haven't deserved because you love us. God, I pray for those who are here today who don't know your love. They are lost, God. They are here today without hope, here today without knowing your forgiveness. And Lord, today I pray that they would open their eyes, God, and they might see Christ in a new light, that they might trust in Him. Oh Lord, teach us today from Your Word. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, we've had the privilege over the last several weeks to hear different stories of God's crazy love in the lives of people here at Good News Bible Church. Today we heard from the Bosonette family and God's provisions in various ways from bringing family together to raising up Jose to be the man in that home that God has called him to be. In past weeks we've seen how God provided for families financially. The Fosters were raising support to be in missionaries to universities here in Chicago. Similarly with the Runquist and other missionaries with inner city impact and how you've guided and protected their family. And the Combses on Christmas spoke of your provision, of God's provisions uh, during a difficult season. We have much to be grateful for. God expresses His love to us in so many ways. And as wonderful as each of those ways truly, truly are, they're but a fraction of the magnitude of the way that God has expressed His love in Jesus Christ. Just think of what we celebrate today. And yesterday is Christmas. Picture Joseph and Mary entering that stable. The only sounds they heard were the sounds of animals, sheep, oxen. And there they come in frantically. This young lady lays down and begins to groan and push because she's in labor. And the sound of animals now gets drowned out by the sound of a woman in labor. And yet that sound drowns out when the baby comes forth. And it's just a cry. A cry in that stable. A cry in that manger. And for us to take a step back and think, that was God. That was God crying in that stable. What love that He would engineer such a marvelous way to redeem humanity. So my prayer is that we would see the manger in a fresh way. But not just that, that we would see the life of Christ. I think we do a disservice 
to Christmas when we think of it only in light of a manger. So as we celebrate the manger, my prayer is that we would worship at the foot of the cross. And as we worship at the cross, we would think about the resurrection. And as we think about the resurrection, we would stand in awe of God's crazy love. But then as we stand in awe of God's crazy love, we would then in turn love one another. Our desire for this series has been on the one hand to reflect on God's radical love to redeem humanity. But on the other hand, it's also been to consider what our response ought to be. And that's what 1 John 4 talks about. The Apostle John is a man who knew Jesus. He walked with him for three years at least. He ate with Jesus. He was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the Mount of Transfiguration, in the homes of people Jesus healed. John knew Jesus, and he knew the love of Jesus. So much so that John refers to himself as the beloved disciple in the Gospel of John. He knew God's love. But then he also took it a step further and knew what Jesus taught should be a response to God's love. Eight times in John's writing, he tells us the command that Jesus gave. John 13, 34, A new command I give you, love one another. John 15, 12, My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, This is my command, love one another. 1 John 3, 11, This is the message you heard from the beginning, love one another. 1 John 3, 23, And this is his command, to love one another. 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, beloved, let us love one another. 1 John 4, 12, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another. And in 2 John 1, 5, And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one you have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. That is what our proper response to God's crazy love should be. But if you're like me, many of us rather not talk about our love for God or our love for others. When we think about our own love for God, we're filled with a bit of guilt. We recognize we don't love God as we ought to. We're frustrated with our own failures and shortcomings. So we don't like to talk about our love for God. We'd rather talk about God's love for us. <laughs> Furthermore, we don't like to talk about our love for others because we recognize they're people we might be holding resentment toward unforgiveness in our heart. We don't want to love these people. So we'd rather not talk about love. But then we're reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 22. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the second greatest commandment is the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we can't overlook this command to love one another. And I need to ask you right now, do you love one another, good news? Look around the people in this room. Do you love one another? Do you love one another? Do you love those in the body of Christ outside of these walls? Do you love those in the world around you? Would you turn, turn to 1 John chapter 4 with me? 1 John's written by the Apostle John, as I mentioned. He's an older, elderly man by this point. He lived a long life in Christ. He had led many to believe in Jesus and now he's instructing them on how to live in light of their salvation. He wants to help them discern the difference between truth and error, light and darkness, 
and in this text between love and hate. And I think what he wants them to end up with, and this is my desire that we would end up with at the end of this message, that we'd recognize that crazy love is the ultimate expression of the Christian life. Our crazy love for one another and for God is the ultimate expression of our Christian life. He begins the passage with these wonderful words. Follow with me in verses, chapter 4, verse 7 as I read. Beloved. It's tender words. Beloved. Let us love one another. Good news, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, does not love, does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He tells them to love one another. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 13. Jesus said, They will know that you are my disciples by your love. That a world around us, an unbelieving world, is going to look at us as Christians and see how we interact and love on one another. And they're going to say, I know you're a Christian because I can tell the way that you love each other. And John tells them here, Beloved, love one another. But the reality is, in our own selves, we don't have those capabilities. We don't have the capacity to love selflessly because we are selfish people, aren't we? But John goes further and he talks about how it is that we can then love one another because that's the question I'm asking. How do I love the person that has wronged me? How do I show love to the person I don't know whatsoever? How do I love in a way that honors God? Those are the questions I'm asking. What are the questions you're asking? I take it they're similar. How do we love one another? Love seems so slippery sometimes. And what he does, he tells us here, he says, Love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's as if John is saying, we have the capacity to love because we've been born of God and we know God. Now when he talks about being born of God, it reminds me of John chapter 3. Jesus is talking with that man Nicodemus and, John, and Jesus tells him, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, like a good Pharisee, a good student of the law, has no clue what Jesus is talking about. He says, how can I enter my mom's womb again while I'm older? And Jesus, you, you've missed the point. Because what Jesus was talking about is not something physical, but something spiritual. It's a, it's a new birth that takes place within us. Yes, we have our parents according to the flesh, but now we are children of God. He is our Father. We are born again. And John says, because we are born again, we can love one another. Because God is love. But then he says, we also know God. You've been born of God and you know God. And this is not just mere propositional truth. We can affirm different truths. You can go on the street and ask people, what do you believe about God? And they might even have right answers. He created the earth. They might even say, Jesus is God. Jesus died for our sins. 
And while these truths are appropriate, they are incomplete. They're just propositions. They're statements. But when we say that that's knowing God, we run the risk of being religious and devoid of relationship. See, when John says we are born of God and we know God, he's saying we know God. I know Him. I know God. I know God personally. Not simply I know about God. I know statements of truths. But I have a relationship with Him. And what he tells them is, anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And even more importantly, look at verse 13, drop down. He says, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And He abides in those who are children of God. He lives within us. So when John tells us to love one another, it's based on three things from this statement. First, that we are born of God. Second, that we know God relationally. And thirdly, God dwells within us. And if these things are true, then we, as a body of believers, ought to love one another. But John takes the next statement. He says, verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now that gets a little more personal. So you're telling me, John, if I don't love, I don't know God? Look at chapter 3, verse 10. John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's exactly what he's saying. You want to know who's the child of God and who's the child of the devil? You would see it by their righteousness and you would see it by their love. Go to chapter 4, verse 20. John writes, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So now we need to ask ourselves, are we loving one another? Do you love the people among us here? Those who are part of the body of Christ who are not here? The world around us, do we love? Because love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But he who does not love does not know God. And the basis for all this is, God is love. Sounds very mathematical. And I was kind of wrestling with this. But the reality is, it's what, it's, it's what the truth is. If God is love, and we claim to be a child of God, then God dwells within us. He who is the essence of love lives within us. And we are born of Him, and we know Him, then we are to love. Think of the person in your life who is the most loving person you know. It might be a mom, or a dad, or a best friend, a spouse, a neighbor. Someone you think of as very loving. And you can affirm, mom is very loving. But would you ever say, mom is love? As loving as she might be, you're very much aware that she loves imperfectly. But God is not loving only. God is the essence of love. God is love. And if God is our God, if God dwells within you, if you have been born of God, If you know God, who is love, 
then you ought to love one another. It's that simple. But John has a reason to teach this because it's not natural. And how I, I, I wonder, it must grieve God when we don't love one another. When we use our tongues to tear down. We, by our actions, we deny each other. And, and it's counter who we are as children of God. And if we fail to love, we need to ask ourselves, why? Because John says when we don't love, we are acting in ways that are inconsistent with those who claim to be children of God. And if you don't love, are you a child of God? It's a radical statement, but it's the truth. God is loving God. God is the essence of love. But God did not tell us to love one another and leave us for ourselves to figure out what that looks like. He has demonstrated a crazy love toward us for which we can learn from. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that, he might live through, so that we might live through Him. God's love was manifested in the flesh. What that means is, God's love took on skin. John says he, God's love was manifested among us. Like, he, it stood among us. I looked love in the eye. We, we talk about feeling love, or offering love, or seeing love at work. Would you ever look at love? John says, love was among us. It was manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. He was among us. God's love was manifest in the flesh. Now John John writes that Jesus is the only Son of God. And this is very significant. In our Mosaic group, Mosaic Cafe on Monday nights, we watched a, a DVD series uh, titled, The Call for Discernment. And it's by a man named Justin Peters. And what he's doing is, he's offering a critique of a movement called the Health and Wealth or Prosperity Gospel or the Word of Faith movement. And what's common among many who preach in this movement is that they tend to lessen the greatness of Christ and elevate the power of man. And we saw one video clip of two, uh, two, of, two leaders within the movement were talking about Jesus as the high priest, which is right. And then they mentioned how we are sons and daughters of God, which is right. First John 12, 1 12, um, John 1.12 tells us that. But then they went a step further and one guy told the, the lady, he says, you got to say that again, say that again, that we are sons of God. And the lady restated it and he said, people don't get that. Jesus is not the only begotten son of God. He says, we are sons of God too. And then he stepped back, the guy Justin Peter says, have they ever read John 3.16? And here we have it again. Jesus is the only Son of God. And what they're doing is confusing two truths. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become a part of God's family. And yes, I am a son of God. You are sons and daughters of God. But make no mistake, we are nothing like Jesus. Jesus is the only Son of God. Not that He was born of God, not that He had a beginning, but in relation to the Father, He is Son. But the Bible is clear about how unique Jesus is. John 1 tells us of Jesus, he says, All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He said, Jesus made everything. Paul tells us in Colossians 1, that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
Just think about that. Jesus created this earth. Everything you see, things you don't see. Things on this earth, things in heaven. Jesus is the creator of this universe. Philippians 2 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the master. Different from us. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. That cannot be said of any of us. So we see how great and mighty Jesus is, the creator of this universe, who maintains it by the power of his word. But now let's look at what John is saying. It was that Jesus who became a man. It was he who created this universe who became a human, took on flesh. And it's a remarkable statement. And what was the purpose that God's love was made manifest in the flesh? That we might live through him. It says there in the end of verse 9. That we might live through Christ. See, we can't live on our own truly. We can't live apart from God truly. We can't live. Because the reality is, we are people who are born in sin. The very core of our beings have been corrupted by sin. We are selfish. We're proud. We're stubborn. We're argumentative. And that's the core of our being. That's, that's how we are marred. But that's why God sent His Son into the world so that we can live through Him. But then the question is, how does Jesus allow us to live through Him? Well, He says it there in verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 10. It says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, because it doesn't begin with us, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is a radical statement. See, we see God's love is manifest in the flesh, and here we see that God's love is expressed in His death. Jesus came to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, isn't it? Propitiation. Say that five times, you get tongue twisted. But it's a marvelous word with tons of power packed into it. See, as I mentioned, we are born in sin. We are people who are at odds with God. He is holy, we are not. We cannot fellowship with Him. He cannot be with sin. And he's a just God. And he is passionately against injustice. So he has to have wrath towards sin. But what happens is, we are people who are sinful, then God's wrath is directed toward us. What are we to do? And there's nothing we can do in our own power. And that's why Jesus came. The word propitiation has two dimensions to it. One of it is a satisfaction dimension. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God when he was on the cross. God's wrath was directed toward us because of our sin. And yet it was appeased because Jesus was the sacrifice who bore that punishment. And not only was God's wrath satisfied, but then our sins were cleansed. And that's why Jesus came into the world. It's a marvelous statement that John is making. This is how God demonstrated his love. The God of eternity who has no need whatsoever. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our love. He has offered his love, created this earth, given us free will, and that's how man fell. But God in his mercy has provided a way to give us life. 
He sent His Son into the world to be a man, to die for our sins and satisfy God's wrath and cleanse us from sin. That's God's love displayed. So when we think back again, John started out with saying, Beloved, let us love one another. He says, God is love. How did God demonstrate His love? By sacrificing Himself, giving Himself up to redeem us. And we need to learn from that. We need to marvel at that. So as we celebrate the manger, we need to worship at the foot of the cross and to think about the resurrection, stand in all of God's crazy love, and then let us in turn love one another. And that's where John goes in verse 11. He says, Beloved, if God loved us this much, if God so loved us, if God demonstrated His love in this way, we also ought to just love one another. The word ought is not so much like a duty, I've got to love you now. I love God and tells me I've got to love you. It's not an external compulsion, but it's an internal constraint. God, you love me this much, I, just, I want to love you, and I want to love your people. I want to love the people in the world. Because John says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, which is an odd statement to make, but then he says, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. It's as if God is saying, the invisible God will be made visible by the way you love one another. And for me, that's an internal constraint. God, I want to love one another in such a way that people can see you among us. You who are invisible, made visible by the love of your church. That's the call. That's the call to love when your boss walks over you. That's how you are to love when your best friend's being inconsiderate. That's how you are to love when your husband won't get that project done in the home. That's how you love as a boss and not being inconsiderate and walking over your employees. That's how you are to love as a friend, choosing to be considerate. And that's how you are to love as a husband, putting up that coat rack in the kitchen. I'm doing that this afternoon, by the way. <laughs> this is the essence of the Christian life. See, the crazy love life is not about romance. It's about God's love. And the crazy love life is the essence of the Christian life because it's based on the author of life, God, who is love. So I want us to think about how do we love? Not simply how do we respond in difficult situations, and that's important. How do we love each other in the midst of that? But I want us to think a step further. How do we actively pursue opportunities to love? When's the last time you sat down and said, God, how should I love somebody today? I had a friend who did that recently. He owns his own gutter cleaning company. And he had several of his employees that were cleaning gutters for a single woman. And they estimated a job at about $60. And while he's cleaning the gutters, he was just trying to be sensitive to God's leading. And he really believed the Holy Spirit led him to say, you know what, I'm not going to charge her for this job. So they, they cleaned out the, her gutters. They did a great job. And afterward, he went up to the lady. No doubt she was thinking about, okay, I've got to write out a check. And he told her, no, you don't owe us anything. And he proceeded to tell her how God loves her. He's saying, That's, this is how you ought to be treated. This is how God loves you. He said the woman broke down in tears on the spot and said she had never been loved that way. 
he went on to invite her to church. And she went to church with her niece. Now this lady stopped going to church, but her niece didn't. And her niece actually trusted Christ. And you take a step back, you think, all because of a $60 gutter job. He chose to offer a crazy love because that's how he's been loved. And because of that, this young lady's life will never be the same. Think about how can you offer a crazy love to one another? What skills do you have? What gifts do you have? What abilities, what words do you have? I was watching the movie The Blind Side, and I don't know, maybe it's because I was preparing for the sermon, I was all emotional in the beginning, <laughs> how, how Sandra Bullock's character and her husband received in this, this, this young man and loved on him. They gave him a, a sofa to sleep on, a warm place. But what really just grabbed me, there's a scene on the first night when they offer their home to this young man. Sandra Bullock and her husband are in bed and she looks at her husband and she said, you think he's going to steal anything? And her husband said, I don't know. We'll find out in the morning. That's, that's the attitude we need to have. The earth, this, this, this is not our home. The buildings we lay in, that, that's, that's not our home. Our resources are not ours to hoard. But we need to be selfless and say, it's all yours, God. How can I use these to crazy love on people as you did that to me. I know of several people who've opened their homes to a safe family, to a child. Liddy Home has this program called Safe Families. And they're always looking for homes to place children temporarily for two weeks, three weeks, a month, a weekend. And I know there's people here who've done that. That's crazy love to say, my home is open. I know two other people who've opened their homes to young adults saying, you know what? We're going to give them a room in our house and we're going to disciple them in Christ. It's radical. But that's crazy love. That's how we are to respond when God has demonstrated His love toward us. So as we think of what John was saying, Beloved, let us love one another. Good news. Really, let's love one another. Because love is from God. And if you're born of God, if you know God, if God indwells in you, you will love one another. Because if you don't love, anyone who does not love is not from God. Why? Because God is love. And God didn't leave us by ourselves to figure out how to love. He demonstrated it. He became manifest in the flesh and then was expressed in his death. God became a man and died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of the Father, to cleanse us from our sins that we might have life. As we celebrate the manger, let us worship at the cross. And as we worship at the cross, let us think of the resurrection. And as we think of the resurrection, let us stand in awe of God's crazy love. And yes, as we stand in awe of God's crazy love, can this Bible church, let us love one another. Not some half-hearted love, but in the same way that God loved. It's a crazy love, a radical love. Would you go forth today asking God to show you how to love in the midst of adverse circumstances? 
in the midst of difficult people, in the midst of a world that is looking to see God and could see God at work in his church. That's John's call for us. And that's the thrust of crazy love. Would you bow with me? God, it's not that we loved you, but that you loved us. God, I I know that there's so much more that could be said. But at the end of the day, God, you've called us to be your church, a visible representation of you on earth, in essence. And Lord, we as your children, we embrace that. For Jesus' sake, amen. I want to ask prayer counselors to come forward. I do want us to think about this. I mentioned earlier as I began the sermon, some of you here today don't know God's crazy love. I don't know your heart. And maybe you've pretended that you know God's love. But maybe God has revealed to you that, no, you you really don't know God's love because you really don't know God. Would you make that decision today and not put it off? God's love is remarkable. And it changes us. It gives us hope. It gives us forgiveness. It gives us life. So as our prayer counselors are here, if you don't know Christ today, would you come up and pray with one of them? Or a person you came with, pray with them. Let Christ be the Lord of your life, your master. And if others of you have resentment in your heart, come forward. Confess your sins to one another, as James tells us. And let us move forward today with love on our hearts and on our minds and being active in the way that we love one another. Would you stand as we conclude this song?